What do you know about that, man? <laughs> that was pretty fun. <laughs> <laughs> All black, everything. Got like a black shirt, a black long sleeve shirt. Yeah, the uh, eyeshadow and the fingernails. Yeah. Kinda Is it the black? Maybe uh, wonder. The black lipstick. The black lipstick kind of had me scared. <laughs> <laughs> if it weren't for the lipstick, I would have. I would have given you a pass. But uh, with the lipstick, I think it's pretty obvious. Well, just so everybody out there knows. Marilyn Manson, you're. <laughs> if this makes the podcast, I'm not wearing any makeup or lipstick, just so everybody still respects me and wants to listen. <laughs> All right, let's get going. Um, I'm Chase Winninger, host of the podcast. Lee McClellan, co-host of the podcast. Hope everyone's doing well. Staying warm. And then today's guest, Jeff Roberts. Hello. Jeff is, he looks very official. He's got on his uh, Kentucky Department of Fish and Wildlife polo while I'm over here wearing my Vortex Optics t-shirt. With Kentucky Wild. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he's got, and that's, that, that, I'm that, pretty impressed. That's a, uh, that's an addition. You, you sewed that on there yourself. Or I had it sewn Somebody did it for you. <laughs> I can sew, but I, I don't trust myself enough to do it to things I wear every day. If I had to stitch myself up in the wild, I could probably do like it. Like fishing stuff would be okay. Yeah, I could probably put a bad cut together with a fishing line and a fish hook, but that's not really selling. It's stitching, right? Yeah. Anyway, so Jeff, uh, over here, what is your official title, Jeff? Conservation educator. Okay, you're a conservation educator. You work at the Salado Wildlife Center, which many people probably used to know as a game farm. Is this whole place yeah. called the game farm, or is it, did that used to be called the game farm? Or? No, the whole place was called the game farm. And now it's called? Headquarters. Okay, well. But still commonly referred to as the game farm. Yeah, because when I was a little kid, those are like my first memories of here is coming up here when I was five years old or six years old, and it was always at the game farm. It used to be number one game farm. Mm-hmm. Now it's number one sportsman's yeah, sports 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 yeah. Which will lead to confusion if you use a certain GPSs. Mm-hmm. Uh, certain GPSs, if you put in sportsman's lane, it'll take it to sportsman's warehouse. We've literally had that happen. We've uh-huh. had folks call us and say, well, we tried to... That just means they didn't put Frank... Trying to come see you, and well, you know, sometimes you... Get ahead of yourself, and I guess they just started typing it in and said, "Oh, that yeah, that, there it is, right there. It's telling us directions. Just go where it's at." Maybe sportsmen should sponsor yeah, us. Yeah. An hour later, We're about forty minutes off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but while you're there, pick me up. Some... Pick me up a new Sam's fishing shirt. Yeah, yeah. It, it could send them somewhere worse. You know, yeah, no sportsmen's. Doubt. I used to work there when I was in college. But was Both like, of y'all did. Oh did yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I actually talked to somebody about that the other day. <clears> so <throat> when when did you work there? Did we overlap? Do you remember me working there? Not really. I worked uh, in archery when I was there, archery okay. and hunting. So. Uh, it would have been 2010, 2009, 10. Mm-hmm. Pretty dang close to when I worked so. there. I worked there, let me see if I can remember some names. Nick McBride was in fishing. Yes. AJ was yes. in fishing. Yes. Uh, Becca Farmer was in footwear. Mm-hmm. Yep. So those, yeah, it sounds like we overlapped. <laughs> yeah. Co- maybe I didn't venture out Co- far enough from the fishing Co- section. Cody Hughes was there. You, it sounds like we overlapped. If you were there, there had one. to have been some overlap yeah. with all the all the people that Becca and Nick and AJ yeah. and this, that whole group of people. Yeah, I'd say so. I kind of wish I remember. Those way books I gave away. Becca sold me. Yeah, Becca. Becca sold me. Uh, she was the one who really first taught me. And when we say Becca, this is Tim Farmer's daughter, mm-hmm. Becca Farmer. She was in footwear at Sportsman's the same time I was in archery and hunting, and Jeff was in. Were you camping? Fishing. You were in fishing. Yeah. Okay, so you worked directly with McBride and those guys. Mm-hmm. Were you there when McBride was fishing manager? No, I'll tell you who was manager when I was there was Jack. Jack? One-Eyed Jack? Jack Lansaw, what, Jr. What was Jack? Who's, what's One-Eyed's name? You know the guy up there with only one eye? You could sneak up on him if you came up on the right side because he had a glass eye. So it looked like he had both eyes, but if you knew which side was his, was his glass eye, you could sneak up on him and surprise him. It was kind of fun. <laughs> it's, like a, it's like a red-tailed hawk. Yeah, like your red-tailed hawk back here? 
Yeah. Only has one eye. Yeah, he's, he's blind in his right eye. That's why he's in captivity? Mm-hmm, yeah. Exactly. So, I mean, so, okay, let's go ahead and make that transition. So, Salado has a lot of animals. Red-tailed hawk, eagle, you have a kestrel. Mm-hmm. You have a... Two kestrels, actually. Two kestrels, you have an owl. We've got a few owls. Several owls. Yeah. So, I mean, those are just the, the raptors, but, I mean, as far as other animals go, there are white-tailed deer, there are eastern turkey, bobcats, black bear, elk, bison. Those are the mammals I can think of. I'm sure you have a lot of mice as feeders mm-hmm. for the reptiles, which, I mean, you got a, a whole, I mean, it's just kind of ridiculous. I go up there to Slato, and the other day I was there, and I was staring in the tank that has the uh, alligator gar and the alligator snapping turtle in it. And I was just looking at the alligator snapping turtle, and then I started looking at all the birds that are up along the ceiling as you go towards the main entranceway. And I was like, you really could come here and spend a lot of time looking at all this stuff you know when i go i go on a 15 so i go back there and I take a quick walk through and i've seen it before but if it was your first trip or like one of your first trips you could spend hours and hours looking at all the exhibits and really trying to learn things uh yeah you know a common question we get is how we've never been how much time should we devote or you know whether it's a, just a family going to come or a school field trip mm-hmm. and i always i always say well you know give yourself at least an hour but like you just said, if you if you want to make a day of it, you can easily make a day of it. I mean, the things that you can see just at Salado could take up hours. And then when you factor in the picnic areas, the two Fins Lakes we have here, mm-hmm. four miles of hiking trail, I mean, you could easily turn it into an all-day affair. Oh, it could, it could definitely be an all-day thing. Because like you said, the Fins Lakes, i got another story on that later. But you go to Salado, and it kind of depends on your interest level. Some people probably want to go see... The animals and they probably walk through and look at the the animals but if you really want to dive into it there are exhibits that have i mean you know things written there and they have uh do you still have an audio exhibit or two used to right we to my knowledge if we if you have the app you could scan certain okay. uh, we still have uh some uh audio supplement built in yeah. where you can you can get uh, information beyond what's there on the signage on some of the exhibits. I know there's some new exhibits too, but so as far like, okay, I work here. I walk back to Slate all the time and there's still things that I'm curious about when I walk back there. And I guess this is probably my opportunity to ask, right? So you got all these animals, you got alligator, snapping turtle, you've got a uh, copperhead, uh, uh, a rattlesnake, you've got a cotton mouse. So you got venomous snakes. You got, there's a big cotton mouth too. Mm-hmm. It is a I big, was in there yesterday. out of all the snakes, he's my favorite because he's she, a, he's a she, well, she is massive. <laughs> well, she, uh, I saw she in the wild. I'd be like, oh, boy. Well, the reason I like her is because she's the most aggressive. And, I mean, I've been back there before, and they fed them. And it's kind of interesting because, I mean, say they'll put one feeder mouse in each one. They put the mice in there alive, and, of course, it's up to the snakes to do their thing. And it's like the rattlesnake kind of sits there, and he waits for the mouse to come right in front of him, you know what I mean? And then he'll strike it. And the, the copperhead kind of does the same thing. The mouse gets in front of him, he strikes it, and he doesn't eat it right away. I feel like the rattlesnake will typically eat immediately, but the copperhead, he kind of waited. The mouse went off, and, I mean, it was like it, you know, he waited for the process to go through. I never actually saw the copperhead eat the mouse, but that cotton mouth, it was like it was hunting that mouse down. I mean, as soon as that mouse went in there and it picked up the the, the fact that it was there, I mean, it, it was hunting, and I kind of like that, so that's why it was my favorite. It's aggressive, and I think he ate, or she ate two mice that day. Mm-hmm. In the time I was there, and the other two only ate one. Yeah, the venomous snakes, well, you know, they're pretty good size. I, I, I'd say on average they probably eat three mice per feeding, if I had to guess. But you are right. The, the cottonmouth. I'm not sure she ever even injects venom. I mean, she, she, she hunts it down and grabs it and eats it. I, I'm not sure she's actually. Well, I know for a fact it. the copperhead definitely kills by venom. 
because mm-hmm. it, it, when I saw it, I only watched it one time, but it struck the mouse and then it sat back and it waited for the mouse to expire before it ate it. And so, um, like I said, the, the cotton mouse they literally just ate the dang mouse. So mm-hmm. she might not have injected venom, but that is the one type of um, venomous snake that we have. Actually, I haven't found a pygmy rattlesnake, but the cotton mouth is one that I would like to find at some point. I've found several rattlesnakes, copperheads I find all the time on accident, just out hiking, typically at night. You know, if I find them in the day, it's usually because I'm looking for them. I'm digging for them or I'm flipping logs. But at night in the fall, the sun will heat up those trails. And then when it gets dark, those uh, copperheads will come out and they'll lay on the trails, like in the Daniel Boone and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's because insects and, and uh, salamanders and lizards and all kinds of stuff will come to those trails to warm up. So the copperheads go there for that same reason, but also to find the food. So. It's kind of cool. It's a good place to find them if you like finding venomous snakes. If you don't, then maybe avoid the trails at night mm-hmm. in the early fall. So, But anyway, so sidetracked. That's just one of the exhibits. But I know that a lot goes into taking care of anything from a hellbender or a map turtle to an alligator snapping turtle and a venomous snake and deer and wild turkey and bison and elk. And I feel like there's probably a lot that goes on behind the scenes that nobody thinks about. And I don't know about it, even though I've been walking up there two times a week for the last three, seven years. So, Yeah, so what a, a lot of people probably don't realize is that every single day of the year, uh, there is at least one staff member at the Slato Center. And a lot of people also probably don't realize because they're not front of house, they, they're, they're not uh, typically interacting with the public, but we have a, an entire crew of what we call animal care staff. Yeah, They're the ones doing a lot of the behind the scenes, the dirty work, the cleaning exhibit spaces, you know, cleaning, cleaning up after the animals, cleaning up a lot of poop, shoveling bear poop, uh, as you can imagine, but doing a lot of the feedings, uh, taking care of a lot of the larger exhibit animals. And, uh, and again, you know, we've had two brutal winters in a row. Oh, it's been hard. And, uh, you know, they still, it doesn't matter what the weather is, one of them, at least one of them is here every day of the year, holidays, it doesn't matter. They, they're coming in here and they're making sure that you know, everybody has food, everybody has access to water, everybody's taken care for. So, you know, my my hat's off to our animal care crew. They they really do uh, an excellent job. They're kind of unsung heroes because I think that, you know, they're more behind the scenes. If you, you, you could easily be a visitor and come and visit us and never see one yeah. and never interact with one. Well, one of the cooler things that they get to do, I'm almost jealous of this, and it's not cleaning up the poop, but um, is feeding them. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, I've been back there and I've watched them feed the elk and I've watched them feed the deer and the turkeys and I mean, literally, they're feeding them. Do we get our vegetables donated? They are donated by Kroger. Okay, because mm-hmm. we get, like, it's like romaine lettuce and mm-hmm. carrots and apples yeah, and they, pears. Our uh, hoop stalker are uh, kind of spoiled no, I can that, tell. in that regard. I can tell. And the groundhog, too. Yeah, no, they, they, they get their pick of some of the best-looking produce. That I mean, it's not like they're getting one thing to eat. They're not corn-fed animals like mm-hmm. a lot of livestock and other caged animals are. I mean, these things get boxes and boxes of fresh fresh vegetables and fruits like every single day do they get fruits or just veggies both both i mean they get everything it's i've wanted to jump in there before and grab some of their food before and just because they eat better than i do as far as that goes <laughs> yeah yeah but sometimes uh, you know we'll, and i've thought of this and i need to do it you know we, we'll be preparing uh, a diet for the yeah. for the groundhog or even the skunk for that matter and it, it looks 
It looks, I mean, if you took a picture of it and put it on Instagram, people would say, oh, look at that salad. That looks, oh, yeah. that looks good. Blueberries yeah. on there, mm-hmm. almonds. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Uh, some, you know, and then you're, yeah, you're giving it to the groundhog. So. That's pretty awesome. Do you ever sneak a bite of the animal food? I <laughs> know. Uh, I might uh, have stolen an almond here and there, yeah. but uh, for I the most part. it's past date, correct? Is uh, it? Yeah. yeah. Well, so I mean, that's but- how. Past, past sell date is not past good date to eat. You know what I mean? If they can't sell it anymore, and you know, in my defense, you know, quality control. I need, I, you know, I need to make sure that it's edible for the animals. So, you know, if I've eaten a blueberry here and there, then yeah. that's you know, I'm just that's fine. No, but that's good because I was wondering. I was like, you know, that has to be a pretty good budget for Kroger to give food. But if it's past date, so they basically will go out there and they'll take their past date food off the shelves mm-hmm. and put it back. And then do we go daily or bi daily or weekly? Weekly. Or we go once a week and grab that. That's pretty awesome. That's a good good trade there. Yes. They would be throwing that out, correct? Uh, and if they couldn't find another facility to donate it to, uh, I I believe it would probably just get thrown out, which would be which would be a shame. I'm, you know, some of that stuff is so. I'm not sure how it works with Kroger, but like in convenience stores, if something goes past the sell by date, a lot of times that vendor has a buyback. You know what I mean? So say a Pepsi or Coke deal or stocks of convenience store with product. If it doesn't sell, then the store gets credit back to a degree for that product. But I'm assuming it with, with vegetables and produce, that's not how it works. So Kroger probably would take a loss on that anyway. And they probably get to write it off as a donation too. Cause Slato, I'm sure they do. Slato's 5013C, right? Or does it go through the foundation? Which I know that donations to Slato are 5013C deductible. They're tax deductible. Because my buddy of mine just donated that coyote for the new exhibit, and he got a donation receipt for it. So it's that's a. It's probably through the foundation. Yeah, the foundation wrote the receipt. Yeah. So I didn't know if that's who handled the food too, but. Speaking of new exhibits, what's what's new for this year? Oh yeah. So new for this year, we we totally renovated uh, one of the outdoor, or excuse me, one of the indoor exhibit spaces. What was the eastern, the eastern forest diorama? Um, basically, the the static exhibit that uh, was behind glass Mm -hmm. we we wanted to update that you know that exhibit had run its course it had been there since we opened in 1995 we wanted to kind of make some changes and uh, so that is now a nocturnal right i saw it yesterday yeah we're we're really happy with how that turned out it's a nocturnal wildlife Mm -hmm. now again uh, not live animals in there but uh, a lot of really good looking mounted animals we we really didn't have any exhibits that highlighted Nocturnal wildlife. And obviously, for a lot of Kentuckians, nocturnal wildlife is not wildlife that you're going to encounter all that often because it's nocturnal. Yeah. And so, you know, in there we've got, like you just said, the coyote, a bobcat, a possum, skunk, raccoon, great horned owl, eastern screech owl, some bats. So, again, a lot of a lot of species that people would be very interested in. And if you're lucky, you've encountered, but uh, just in case. And, it, and the exhibit itself is, is interactive. There's actually two light-up features. You can, you can light up the species that you are permitted to hunt and trap, and then a separate light would light up the protected species, which would be, of course, the, the owls and the, and the bats. The screech owl looks great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it, again, we're, we're really we're really pleased with how that turned out. I mean, a nocturnal nocturnal animals. You know, I don't, okay, I know there's 900 something species of wildlife in the state. Blah blah blah. I'm not sure what percentage of them are nocturnal, but if you think about it, animals are typically more active at night than they are in the daytime. You know, certain animals aren't like your typical prey species, like a rabbit or a squirrel or a turkey. Those are things that get eaten awfully easy, so they like to be out there in the daytime and using their vision to their strong point. But I mean, as far as coyotes and bobcats and skunks and raccoons and all the stuff you just named, there is so much wildlife that's only active at night 
that, I mean, it just goes unthought of. That's why when people see a coyote or they hear about somebody seeing a coyote, they think it's crazy. Coyotes are everywhere, okay? They are everywhere. Same with bobcats. Yeah, but I I can't tell you the, the, you know, someone comes, they they come to our bobcat exhibit, which is one of our most popular exhibits. Of course, we have a male and a female in there. For a lot of people, that's that is the first time they've ever seen bobcats yeah. when they come to Salado, and, and, and that's great. But they'll ask us, you know, our bob, how are bobcat numbers in Kentucky? Are they, are they endangered? You oh, know, we've never seen one. Got, a, we don't know of anyone yeah. who's ever seen one. When in reality, uh, bobcat numbers are great in Kentucky. They're mm-hmm. they're found, you know, nearly statewide, mm-hmm. but they are very active at night and they're very you know skittish and shy. And they, they, they avoid people and you know i always tell people that's a pretty good recipe for not being seen that often mm-hmm. and so lots of people i think i've seen one in in, in the wild in my life so yeah. you know it's, i've i've seen yeah i mean they, they're out there but you have to spend a lot of time in the outdoors mm-hmm. and just get really lucky and a lot of people see them when they're in their deer stand well i was yeah. gonna say the most the most opportune times to see them are probably deer hunting or fishing mm-hmm. if you go down to laurel or cumberland or dale or any lakes in the southeast part of the state I mean, your chances of seeing a bobcat go up quite a bit because they aren't that afraid of boats. But like you said, they're nocturnal. People don't realize that coyotes are as prevalent as they are. There are coyotes. I guarantee you we probably got 20 coyotes within a mile of us right now in the wild. You know what I mean? I mean, they are literally everywhere. And some of my friends who are really good coyote hunters talk about you'd be amazed at how small of a draw or a ditch or a wood pile or something you can call a coyote out of because – I mean, they, they they don't need a ton of room to get in somewhere and hide during the daytime, just to come out and prowl the fields in the woods at night. But people don't realize the nocturnal animal. So I'm glad that exhibit's gone in. Hopefully it'll teach some people, especially kids, about wildlife. I mean, that's kind of the goal of Slato, right, is to educate everybody, but especially younger people about, Absolutely. about yeah. wildlife. In that, the state. That's what we're there for. We, we are there to... Uh, educate our visitors of any age, but it's, you know, again, especially we get a lot of school field trips as you would imagine, especially kids, but it's never too late to start learning. You know, that's, that's, that's a really great thing that I think I've learned in the time that I've been there is that, you know, you can have that aha moment with somebody of any age and that, you know, that's great. That's to me, that's one of the most rewarding parts of the job, but yes, that, you know, that's what we're there for to educate about Kentucky's native species. And we only house and we only have native species. Uh, and we want to help people learn more about these wildlife resources, the natural resources, and also the role of the Kentucky Department of Fish and Wildlife Resources oh, yeah. as it pertains to these natural resources. Well, that's, that's because what... a lot of people, um, they see me in the, you know, you mentioned my uniform. Well, if I'm at Speedway, a lot of people are going to assume I'm a game warden, game warden, conservation yeah. warden. A lot of people just, they just haven't. They don't have enough knowledge of our agency to realize that we're so much more than just the law enforcement division. And so that's another great uh, great component of the Salado Center. Well, we try to educate about the agency as a whole. One of my favorite things about Salado, so there's a lot of places out there, zoos and, and petting zoos or just whatever. You can go see some, some kind of animals and wildlife, right? But I like the fact that Salado doesn't they, – they don't shy away from it, and they actually try to educate people about the importance of hunting and fishing and conservation and wildlife management. And I mean, it's like the only, it's one of the only places you can go and really be educated about the truth when it comes to wildlife management and conservation and how it all takes place. You know, like you said, the new nocturnal animal exhibit, press this button to see the animals that can be mm-hmm. hunted and trapped. See this, press this button to see the ones that are protected, right? And there, I mean, a lot of places you could go wouldn't ever highlight the fact that some of these animals are hunted and trapped. You know what I mean? And I think it's important, especially from our point of view, what the department's trying to do to educate 
the younger people, the kids that come in on the field trip, that this is something that is an important tool when it comes to conservation and wildlife management. And do you guys educate people about the funding at all? Oh, yeah. 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 We, I lead off, or, well, we all do all the educators. Yeah. Um, that's part of our lead off for just about every program we do is we help people understand how the agency is funded yeah. and that, you know, we're not, uh, you know, getting people uh, excited and, and inspired to go out and become actively involved by, you know, hunting and fishing license mm-hmm. or, and then at this point by Kentucky wild membership, a mm-hmm. new program that I, I think we'll touch on a little bit today That's fine. that, uh, you know, we're, we, we won't be able to, uh, to do what we're, what we're here to do. You know, we won't, this wildlife yeah. center won't be possible. Our biologists won't be possible. All the, all the hard work that all of our employees in this agency do, it, yeah. it just won't be possible. Well, what I was kind of thinking of there is, you know, say I'm a parent, which I'm not at this point, but let's just pretend that I have a small child, right? And I'm wanting this, this child to be exposed to wildlife and, and I want them to learn about the state of Kentucky and the outdoors and things like that. I mean, it's hard to think of a better place to take them to explain things to them and to let them learn things than somewhere that is, you know, is is transparent and is, and is open and is true to true to reality. Is that because you know it's not a it's not a uh, what am I trying to think of when people put a better like a more uh, kid friendly and more beautiful spin on something than than reality? Does that what am I, what am I getting out there? What is that word? Lee? I'm looking at you because I'm I look, you're the writer. You're supposed to have the words, but. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean. It's it's really a clear picture of, of how things well, work. Yeah, I think you're reality. getting the I think you're getting the big picture. Yeah, the exactly. Essence. Yeah, well, it's it's not a uh, watered down version. Yes, it's you know the essence I mean? of what you know. Like you can you can take a kid there and you could honestly explain to them how things work, and it might be a more in depth conversation, but it's like a it's a com- conversation that is more truthful and probably more interesting and, re- and revealing. Well, you know the beauty I mean? of Salado is, for example, yesterday, one of my best friends, his son is doing an Eagle Scout project where he's building new donation boxes for Salado. Okay. Making them weatherproof. They've caulked them. They're, they've done a fantastic job. But we kept having to call him over because he was at the nocturnal exhibit pushing the, the lights on. Oh, okay, okay. Then he was overfeeling stuff. He was overlooking at the turkey exhibit. He was overlooking at the turtles and the snakes. We couldn't keep his attention because he was drawn to all this stuff so visually you don't have to say a word and you can learn it salado yeah 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 oh yeah. it's interesting i mean i'll and be honest he was just taken by everybody you bring in there is just blown away i've brought nieces and nephews there a bunch and they're just blown away you know we'll <laughs> spend hours yeah I, I mean i can spend a lot of time up there just playing around right now but it's, it's cool every year there's the salado sampler right which is a fundraising event at salado I think the money goes to the foundation, not actually to Slato. But that's kind of trickle-down effect. It's going to end up at Slato in some way, most likely. But um, they have the Slato Sampler, and it's an adult-only event, over 21, and they're, so they serve some beverages up there at the Slato. And I feel like usually after I have a, a bourbon or two, I go back to that, like, I'm, like, I'm sticking my hand in the oh, body. You know what I mean? I've done it a hundred like, times. Yeah. I still go there, what's in there? Oh, that feels like a, a yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a What is that? The beaver tail one gets me every time. No, that's how the that's how the kids feel <laughs> all the time. I'm saying two bourbon, Steve. I'm I'm like yeah. the, I'm like that fifth grader again that's sticking to you know just exploring and having fun and reading and oh my gosh that's so interesting and stuff like that. So it's kind of cool, but it's a it's a really good time. I, I if I have a fifteen to take here at work, I will typically go to Slato or go fishing. One of the two. So yeah, and I think that's it's because you can come to Slato and it's it's a different new experience every single time. Yeah. I'm sure a lot of the you know the stationary exhibits are going to be the same but when you have live animals 
it's and it's going to be different every single time, especially when it's a you know an enclosure that has multiple animals in it. You you never really know what what they're going to be doing. So I think that that's yeah. we have people uh, you know who who get family memberships. I mean, we have some that come every week, mm-hmm. you know, or multiple times through the week, and they'll tell you, well, you know, every time we come, you know, we still feel like it's a it's a different visit every single time yeah. you come. There's so that's much true. to see. I hear lately I've been walking back there and I've been looking at the deer to see if they've dropped their antlers. Because I'm, you know, I'm a deer hunter. I'm interested in shed hunting. I want to go shed hunting. And I typically like to go shed hunting when most of the deer have dropped. So, you know, I'm going to probably go on a free day regardless. But I'll walk back there and I'll just curiously look at the slate. There's two good bucks up there. Mm -hmm. And I'll be like, oh, they're still holding. Still holding. Maybe some of the deer in the wild are too. But part of that comes down to the animal health and stress and other factors. So I expect the slate bucks to hold longer. So when I see that they've dropped, I'm like, all right, time to if it's I'm time to go. if I'm not shed hunting yet, then I'm missing the bus. So, but I, do they still have their antlers? Last time I looked at them, they did. I think that was yesterday or the day before. I'd say they they, they were still hanging on. They, they, I mean, like you said, they get a pretty good diet. They live a fairly stress free life. It's not like they're jumping a lot of fences or ditches. Mm-hmm. Or I doubt they did a whole lot of fighting this year. They sparred a little bit. Did they? Yeah, they they sized each other up a little bit. We we got some pretty good video of that. Well, they're but, both the same same age, right? Yeah, they're the same age, but one of them is a little bigger. They're the I think he's a ten pointer. The one of them's a little bit bigger than the other. I mean, it's like maybe he's just they're they're similar. One of them's narrower, one of them's wider, and I assume the wider one's a little bit bigger. But next year, I'm really looking forward to seeing what those deer are. Because I mean, I think they were three and a half or four and a half this past year. So they're is that about right? You think? It sounds right. Yeah. So they're looking at these next two or three years being their peak years. I mean, they could be 160, maybe 170 class bucks with that diet they're getting. So and you can walk out on that platform and mm-hmm. go way out in it and really get intimate. I know a lot of photographers use that. Yeah. yeah. The well, deer pier. If you can just hide that one ear tag, you can get some photos that yeah. don't look like they were taken in mm-hmm. captivity. They're just beautiful. Yeah, they are. I've been lucky enough to get in there. You got the uh, baby season promo mm-hmm. video, which I'm assuming will be used again here in the next bit. Uh, You know, baby season will be here for you now. Yeah, it should be what, like April? Usually late April. Late April. May. So we'll start promoting baby season when all the fawns are dropping and the elk calves are dropping and all those things. Bison are, calves. Bison calves. All those things are going on. But I was, I think it was two years ago, I was lucky enough to go in there and shoot the baby season promo. So all the new cat or the fawns were, were dropped and we got to go in the pen with the deer and just be five feet away from, you know, it's not very often you're five feet away from 20 deer and it's kind of they're kind of curious you know what i mean but they do when you're on the pier or when you're walking around the fence or something they don't mind you very much mm-hmm. i mean they they'll look at you and they'll kind of stare you down and just watch you but it's not like they take off and try to get to the other side of the pen i mean you can be up close and personal with those deer and turkey mm-hmm. i'd say in april those turkeys probably start gobbling too mm-hmm. oh yeah i've heard i've heard them from here before mm-hmm. and i have too people oh. people like to come out and practice their own you know turkey they, calling they do a little yelping mm-hmm. at them yeah. That'd probably get annoying, though, wouldn't it? Well, it doesn't take much to get our our uh, ours gobbling. You can go out there and just make any noise that sounds. Are they gobbling remotely. right now? Uh, I haven't I haven't really heard them gobbling right well, now. Well, my turkey at my house has started gobbling, and I've got a uh, a bearing going bad on somewhere on my belt in my vehicle. And it, so for the first minute, once I started up, there was kind of like this little squeaking noise. And this morning I started my vehicle and that turkey was out there. And every time that thing squeaked, he was just, it's like he couldn't help it. For two minutes straight, he was just hammering and hammering. I was kind of getting worried about it. I was like, I need to turn this car off before he gobbles himself to death. <laughs> it's, it's, they're gearing up towards that time of year because he probably didn't gobble for four or five months there. And now all of a sudden he's getting back into it. So. Out of my brother's place. March is the month they gobble like crazy. So by the time season opens, it's, you know, they're, they're chill. Yeah. 
Well, April 13th this year, opening day. So, oh, well, but yeah, so, I mean, all those different animals, all those things to see, you know, earlier we were talking about, uh, how it used to be called the game farm. And I said, those some of my first memories of it are as the game farm, right? So the two in particular that I'm thinking about, one of them was when I was like five or six years old, I was up here with my grandparents. We were walking around and I got attacked by a goose. And I'm still convinced to this day that a goose might be the meanest animal on the face of this earth. I was watching them yesterday while I was fishing. And there's this goose who, I mean, they get their, they stretch their neck out and they put their head down there by the ground and they hiss. And I mean, they are just some of the meanest. Well, I think the, the pairing up deal is starting to transpire. Don't Gosh. you think? Yeah. I'm, it seems like they're hanging out in duos a lot more of these and Getting days. more aggressive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And oh, kind of getting uh, territorial. But it's amazing how vicious a, a goose can be. Have you seen those videos of that? I mean, they will straight up attack people sometimes. Mm-hmm. You know cool. the domestic ones? I grew up out in the country, and there was a friend of mine who had domestic white geese. That thing would chase you and uh-huh. hiss and pinch you on and the, the butt. Yeah, and I, I think part of the reason that I, I don't let, I've never really been intimidated by uh, oh, ducks and geese is because I grew up on a farm, too. And we no. Every spring we would go to the hatchery and just get, you know, Get a few ducks, get a few geese, get a few chickens, just for fun. I mean, you know, we didn't eat them, we didn't even eat their eggs. We, we so we always had geese on the farm, and they would do the same thing. I mean, if you if you let, I mean, they'd come up to you and they they would bite you, give mm-hmm. you a huge, uh, you know, they blood hurt. blister, and oh yeah, it, it didn't I feel mean, good. Like, but, oh, fire from There's no reason to be afraid of an animal like that. I mean, we oh no, not at all. When, when you're ten, but, though, it wasn't. But <laughs> you know, when yeah, when when the goose yeah. is bigger than you are, <laughs> you, you're probably gonna run from it. Well, I would say if uh, if that goose was a blue heron, I might be afraid of it. Yeah. You know, but those geese are pretty. One of my buddies used to have a rooster, Spencer. He uh, he had turkeys and roosters and chickens, but he had this one rooster who I guess was just overly territorial. And he said every day when he pulled up and he from work and he got out of his truck at the house, that rooster would come running at him full sleep, speed and just jump up and start fogging him and attacking him. And he said it was a fight. <laughs> he like, you know, imagine pulling in your driveway and preparing yourself like, all right, here we go. Got to fight this rooster <laughs> like that's how it was every day and that's how some of those geese are sometimes but that was one of my first memories of the game farm back mm-hmm. when that's what it was was that goose just going crazy huh? i remember that still to this day and then my other one this is kind of like one of those things i'm not sure i should say but i'm gonna say anyway when i was in high school we took a field trip here with my uh, ag class i was in right and it was a fishing field trip so we were all fishing and we probably looked around slato too i can't remember <clears throat> but I caught four snakes that day. I caught like a couple of northern water snakes and a queen snake. And remember, anybody listening. Queen snakes are cool. This was 13 years ago. Okay. So this is a long time ago. But I, I caught those snakes and I put them in a lunchbox. I, caught, I kept all four of them, right? And I took them back to high school with me, back to Shelby County. And it was like three days before graduation. So I was like, all right, senior, senior Frank, here we go. <laughs> and so the first bell rang. And that's when everybody goes to the lobby of the high school, right? And I was walking through the lobby and I had that lunchbox and I let those snakes out in the floor. And this is like hundreds of people, the high school girls are like getting in there. And I took about five steps and then I started hearing the screams. You know what I mean? And the reason I got in trouble for this was because the school resource officer um, ran up and she was afraid of snakes and she pulled her gun. So because she pulled her gun, I got, they. it was me, obviously, I didn't deny it. They, um, I got in school suspension for the last four days of high school when I was in high school. But luckily my last class on my last day of high school ever, my teacher wrote a note and said that she had to have me for a test that day in class. And it was a pizza party. She let me come back and enjoy the, 
very last class I ever had. But I got suspended my last three and a half days of high school because of a prank. Because of a wildlife-related prank. Yes. It started here where I now work. So, yeah, it was a really dumb, looking back, uh, bad decision. But like I said, 13 years ago. That was a long time. It was almost half my life ago that 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 happened. So I kind of forgive myself nowadays. Learned a lot, but... Those are my two main memories of uh, this place up here. When yeah, I, when and you saw the queen snake. I can't remember. I didn't even catch all these snakes. Some other people caught caught some. One of my friends caught one on a like a while fishing. Caught oh, it. Yeah, that yeah. happens. I've, I've, I've known of people who've done that. That wasn't the queen snake. I think that was probably the northern water. Now, we had a queen snake sometimes uh, certain certain time of the year when they're really, really, really small and just starting to go exploring. We'll have snakes come. Wild snakes come into the center. We had a queen snake a couple of years ago, uh, right by the door of the meeting room. So hmm, we, really? we took it and put it down by a little creek. Some of them relocated that creek, one. Their, their habitat is a creek, mainly. Right? Quite, quite nice. I see them in Silver Creek in Madison County all the time. And they kind of rise up sometimes in the middle of the creek and be like, you know, like oh, a cobra. The other ones that'll they'll come out from the little crevices and the cracks under the water. Mm-hmm. Like they'll be about two or three inches deep in the water and the crevice will and they'll stick their head up. And and yeah, just look around like a cobra. You flip rocks near a creek anywhere around here, you're going to find queen and northern water. Yeah. And that's pretty much all you're going to find. You know, if. if um, so many people are scared of northern water snakes because you know they're really common, and everybody thinks copperhead, copperhead. No, they see the pattern on its back, and they think it's something venomous. But mm-hmm. are they actually anybody who thinks that it's something venomous probably actually thinks it's something poisonous. Yeah, because <laughs> that's just how that works. Yeah, but they're not. No, and no corn's full of them. And not, you know, I would venture to say not just northern water snakes. I mean, just snakes mm-hmm. in general. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's such a a huge, you know, phobia or fear or uneasiness associated with snakes. But that's another huge part of, of what I feel like my job is, is to help people, people understand, yeah, educate them uh, and, and help them, you know, understand that, you know what, you know, snakes, it's okay if you're a little bit uneasy with them. Uh, you but you it. have to understand, you know, I'm not, I, you, you don't have to be a snake person. You don't have to go catch them in the wild. You don't have to have them as pets. Uh, but what I do want you to do is understand how important they are mm-hmm. to any ecosystem to which they belong. You know, if you if you let them do their job, which that is, you know, you have to realize most snakes when they're little they eat bugs. As they get bigger, they eat rodents. Well, think about that. You know, we have to pay people to take care of bug and rodent problems for us, or we could, in most cases, leave the snakes alone. Leave the snakes alone. Let them do their job. And if you leave them alone, I promise you, they will leave you alone. Yeah. I mean, there's no reason, especially if you live in Shelby County or Franklin County or anywhere near here, particularly the bluegrass region. I'll just say the bluegrass region. Your, your chances of encountering a venomous snake in the bluegrass region are, are not good. They're like not. I mean, if you wanted to find one, you would have to leave the bluegrass region to give yourself any. Re- and that's going out flipping logs, flipping yeah. rocks, looking for them. You're and, not going to do it. Around and you here. know what? Even if you did. As long as, if you found one, if you left it alone, it would still leave you alone. No, yes. You know, it's are. not like it changes and, and only the non-venomous snakes will leave you alone, but the venomous snakes won't. No, it's it's any snake. If you, you give it space and leave it alone, there's nothing to worry about. I mean, yeah, I, I go back there and we got tents here on this property. It's like a restricted part of the property, but sometimes I'll go back there on my breaks and things. And I'll flip those tens, you know, trying to find some stuff. And I'll find a lot of garters back there. I found some good sized garters, but you won't. The chances of me ever going back there and finding a copperhead, which would be the only type of venomous snake I would ever expect to find in this part of the state, mm-hmm. are pretty much zero. You know, it's not going to happen. The snakes we have here are rat snakes, 
and uh, black racers, black racers and, and water snakes and, and, and garters. garters. Yeah, and queen so snakes. The main water snakes here in central Kentucky are. Is northern the most common? Yes. Yeah, by far. Um, uh, that's a, that, what about midland? Well, I believe they're, those are subspecies of each. Yeah, that's that's where it gets. They're, they're, there's a midland and then there's a northern and we would need John McGregor. The, yeah, the, pretty much all the so, water snakes I see are northern water snakes or a copper belly, but I don't find copper bellies around no, here. They're pretty rare. Yeah, yeah, those I, are very rare. I, I found them in the gorge before. One. I've got a picture of it on my phone. But there's a couple of different – some of the snakes look different depending on how long it's been since they mm -hmm. came out of uh, out of the ground. Or sometimes they got a real dull gray color. And then midsummer they'll be – you know they'll look like a different species because their pattern is so much more distinct. But – you're going to, I mean, there's nothing around here that's ever going to hurt you. So it would take an expert to d differentiate northern and middle. Well, I, I'm not saying that, but I, off the top of my head, I, I can't recall what the difference is between the two. I, there, is a there is a difference. Yeah. There is a difference. I think they're very, very closely related. It, it may just be a distribution thing. There may be certain parts of the state where, oh, well, yeah, that is a... You know, a midland as opposed to a northern. No. If you're kayaking Elkhorn Creek and you see a water snake, it's and a northern. Just call it a northern. You'll be fine. It's the, a water snake. Once you just lived it over my, we were sitting in a riffle one time, pulled over and eat lunch, and we were cooling off, and one went over my wife. <laughs> she about came out of her skin. Now, I will say, you know, northern <clears throat> water snakes are curious. Now, yeah. I, I tell people that, but that doesn't mean that you don't mistake curiosity for aggression. Yeah. Or, you know, just because they, you're in a kayak and they come up they'll, to your they'll kayak. Come, they'll come up to your well, boat. Well, you know, they're. They're just curious. I mean, they, you know, I was on Beaver Lake uh, last year in my kayak, and, and one came all the way across. I have it on video, and I thought it was going to come into the kayak. It, it didn't, but it came right up to my mm -hmm. kayak, kind of looked at it the length of the way, and then it just kept on swimming. You know, there's nothing, it, you know, it, there's nothing to worry about. Uh, you know, it, it's just, again, my whole thing is, uh, you know, leave it alone. It'll leave you alone. And understand how important of a job it has. Uh, you know, if we didn't have predator species like snakes, well, we would be overrun with, you know, bugs and rodents. It wouldn't be a fun place to live. The uh, Another reason a lot of snakes are misidentified or killed when they shouldn't be is because a lot of non-venomous snakes are going to display a feature of a venomous snake mm -hmm. when they're when they're threatened. Like a, another airplane. We can't go one podcast with an airplane. But that, like a garter snake, well, a lot of times people, people think to look for um, the shape of the head when they think they're looking for a venomous snake. Mm -hmm. Oh, it had a... A spade-shaped head, so it was venomous. But a garter snake's going to make its head look spade-shaped. Black rat snakes do that too. Yeah, uh, and I mean, and look at what hognose snakes do. I mean, they they have so much loose skin around there. I mean, they they almost look like a cobra when, yeah. when they when they do their you know posturing so, and they hiss. And, so they try to make themselves look dangerous, but that doesn't mean they are dangerous. You know, most of them are just they feel threatened, so they're trying to intimidate. But, exactly. Yeah, people. That's one of the most misunderstood things in the state of Kentucky. Easily, I would say snakes and coyotes are right up there because mm -hmm. people people don't think coyotes exist, and when they see one, they think they need to call Fish and Wildlife and tell them about it. And people see a snake, and they automatically think they automatically assume it. it, it even if they don't assume that it's venomous, they assume that it's dangerous and it's it's a threat that needs to be taken care of. And usually, they take care of it, you know, with a shovel or something like that. Yeah. And it's just there's just absolutely no reason to do like that. Like I put a video up one time just for because I thought it was an entertaining or interesting video, right? I put a video up on Instagram of my girlfriend getting bit by a water snake, right? And to anybody, like to me or you or her or anybody that deals with snakes it's like oh yeah it's a getting bit by a water snake well it happens all the time if you are if you are into finding snakes and, and catching snakes and holding snakes you're gonna get bit mm -hmm. that's just part of it so it's not like it's a big deal but when i put this out there i guess people who didn't have that comfort level saw it and you'd be amazed at some of the comments like oh my gosh how is she not dead like 
well, she's not dead because it was a northern water snake. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but people just think that if you get bit by a snake, you're, it's just not the case. A, a garter snake, got, we were riding bikes through the woods when I was a kid, and a garter snake got hung up in my brother's wheel and brake and bit the back of his leg and just kept nailing him. <laughs> well, in, in that instance, uh, I, he, was, I, he was pretty mad. I, I can't say I'm I, I would probably be mad, too. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Just one of those deals. But that, that raises a good point, too. And anytime I'm doing a, you know, a reptile program and we're talking about snakes with kids, I always, you know, that's that's one thing I, I caution them on is even if it's a non-venomous snake, uh, if you go to pick it up, you go to try to catch it, you know, it, it, it's only defense at that point is going to be to bite you. Yeah. I can almost guarantee that it's going to bite you at that point. They don't know that you just want to take a picture for Instagram. Mm-hmm. They don't know that you want to put it on Snapchat or, you or know, yeah, whatever just... you want. to. They don't know that. To them, it's a... You know, it is a gigantic predator, predator trying, to, trying eat. to eat them. So I always say, what's who has the right to be more afraid? People are scared of snakes because they're afraid of being bit. No, okay. people don't. Snakes are afraid of people because they're afraid of being eaten. So what's a scarier <laughs> thought, being bit or being eaten? Believe it or not, people will still say, oh, no, being bit is still scarier. Oh, no, yeah, on. please. No, no, no. Well, the thing is, a human has this brain that's like, you know, you think about the size of a human brain. And you think about the size of a snake's brain, and you think, who should have the ability to reason past this? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yes, no so doubt. Back in, I mean, back in the day, before cell phones, I mean, me and my buddy Bobby, who was on the podcast recently, we would, after school, we'd go down to the, the dam there at Lake Shelby, and we'd take our fishing poles, and if the fish weren't biting, then we'd start flipping rocks to see who could catch the biggest snake. You know what I mean? Just It was something we did for well, fun. crayfish, those were fun. Well, if they were crayfish, they were probably going on a hook. Yeah. So <laughs> the snakes, they just got turned loose. But I remember... Uh, we used to sing creeks for fun, too. You no, know. it was just something we did back in the day. And that's probably why the comfort level's there. But, I mean, there's a stigma. If you... People can raise their kids one of two ways. And that's uh, educated past stigmas or with stigmas. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And there's a stigma when it comes to, to snakes, especially. Either it's a, oh my gosh, that's scary. That's the parent's point of view. And that gets ingrained in the child. Or it's... Uh, that's a part of nature. That's a harmless My one. Just leave him alone. Yeah. Well, that, that's, part of, that's part of the purpose of Salado is to raise people past mm-hmm. stigmas. So, you know, people have those unreasonable fears or, or unlogical thoughts about certain things that have to do with wildlife. But a way to get people past that and to be reasonable is to educate them about it. And that's part of the reason Salado's there. And that's why you have somebody holding a corn snake or a rat sure. snake or whatever. So the kids can pet it and the kids can see that. You know, this isn't a dangerous animal. This guy's sitting here holding it, and it's his job to, to hold it. I can reach out, and I can touch it, and nothing bad's going to happen to me. So it might help educate some kids to not be afraid like that. I would venture to say that there's a lot of people in Kentucky who the very first time they ever touched a snake was either at Salado or somewhere like Salado, mm-hmm. where, you know, you've got, a, you've got a professional there. Like you just said, okay, he, he's not going to be holding this snake if it's dangerous or venomous or, you know, what, however you want to describe it. So having someone there to, again, educate, you know, ease your mind a little bit. You know, our snakes uh, have have lived in captivity for years and, and are touched almost every day of their lives. You know, these are snakes uh, that uh, are, are not going to bite you. Uh, so, it, it, you know, it's a good place to, if you've never touched a snake before, that's kind of the first step or one of the first steps to kind of, Get yourself over your uneasiness. It's, it's a great thing to come somewhere like Salado and, and you'll know, see one right in front of you, see one firsthand, uh, touch it. And I always, I always compel people, you know, learn, learn your ID, you know, and be familiar. We have, we have 32 species of snake in Kentucky. Only four are venomous. And only one of those four is found almost statewide, that being the copperhead. Your chances of encountering a venomous snake in most places in Kentucky are, are not good. 
You know, you, you, I think people just have it in their mind that anywhere you go, um, the chances of stumbling across a venomous snake are, 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 you know, like that's a, that's a thing that you should be concerned with on a daily basis when that's just, that's just not the truth. Unless you're down there tromping through the marshes in Western Kentucky. You're that's why I said in most places. Yeah. Some yeah. areas. No, like you, you have to be somewhere. Real foot leg. Yeah. You have to be somewhere where a cotton mouse is going to be. You have to be in the, not just in the Daniel Boone, but you have to be there at the right time in the right spot because I mean, they, they're animals of habit, you know, they're probably going to be under a rock or a log unless there's a reason for them to be out. And, I don't know. It's just it's such a, I don't know, it's a foreign thought to me to be afraid of these snakes. Because I mean, I, the only time I'm ever cautious about snakes is when I'm out there on the trails at night and I'm trying to go eight miles because I have a time limit that I'm, I have to get these trails marked for an event or something like that. Cause I do do things on the side. <clears throat> and if I'm out there in tennis shoes and shorts on September 12th, and it's just after sundown, then I am going to be looking at the ground and looking at my step because my chances of stepping on one there are reasonable. But other than that, like, I mean, I'll go hiking any day of the week. Keep my dog on a leash. That's pretty much what I say. And people, people's dogs, like rabbit dogs, get bit by snakes. In eastern Kentucky, people have beagles that will get bit by copperheads. And the, as long as it's not on the throat, they won't even treat it. And that beagle will be fine because a copperhead's not made to kill an animal the size of a dog or a human. Mm-hmm. It'd probably hurt a lot and it'd probably be really uncomfortable, but they're made to kill mice. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? The venom that a copperhead has is probably not going to be life-threatening. I'd say go to the hospital and get it taken care of. But mm-hmm. It's not like you're going to die instantly. Well, the, the biggest thing is whether or not you have an allergy to it. Just yeah. like so many other, you know, the venom of uh, bees or wasps mm-hmm. or anything like that. It, it's uh, Most of the time when there's an issue, it's because the person has an allergy to it. So that's why, you know, well, to be cautious. <clears throat> I will say this. There are two types of venom that we have in Kentucky. There is the type of venom. There's a hemotoxin and there is a neurotoxin. Am I right there? So two different types of toxins. I know there's two. I can't remember if the second. I know hemotoxin is one, but I can't remember if the other one's. One of them affects um, tissue. One of them destroys. That's, hem- that's hemotoxin. Hemotoxin, which is what rattlesnakes have. I believe that's what. Rattlesnake has a combination of two types of venom while the other three only have one type of venom. So the other three are going to accelerate your heart rate. They're going to, you know, do everything. They're going to make you feel sick. But a rattlesnake will actually destroy tissue on the spot, just like a brown recluse brown would. Recluse, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So a rattlesnake affects you in multiple ways. So really, the only one that is really, really, really horrible to get bit by is a rattlesnake because it's going to start doing immediate damage to the area. But the rest of them, you can probably heal from 100%. No. But I'd say get to the hospital quick. But th- don't worry about it at the same time. We're kind of sending mixed messages say, yeah, here. We're, we're getting off on <laughs> yeah. a tangent here. Yeah. I think we need to... <laughs> no, I get, I get interested talking about venomous snakes and stuff. But, yeah, we got off on a tangent. But, anyway, the chances of you ever... Yeah. Anyway. You, you it all starts with education. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's what I was saying. I mean, even though I know these things, I'm not worried about these venomous snakes because... I feel like I know about them. It's not unfamiliar. But that's part of the purpose of Slato, which is what I wanted to talk about in the first place today. I feel like we've hit on some things. Is there anything that, as somebody working at Slato, you think behind the scenes people just don't understand or don't realize it might be really cool? Well, you know. Because, I mean, there are things here with the TV show that I take for granted that a normal person would probably think was pretty cool. So, I mean, is there? I'm sure sure there's countless examples of that, too. You know, I've, I've been at Slato for six years. And uh, I think it's a great job. It's a lot of fun uh, working hands-on with the animals. Uh, I, I'm the uh, main trainer for the raptors, and I, I'm a bird nerd from my, you know, my whole life. I've always loved birds. Bird so. nerd. Bird nerd, yeah. Uh, that's me. me. 
And so, you know, to have a job where I get to work hands-on with birds every day is, is pretty awesome. Uh, there, I think it's probably, I, I've seen, um, maybe you all have seen, there's like a meme that says, you know, what people think I do. Versus, oh, yeah. So it's like the glamorous part of your job versus the not-so-glamorous part of the job. I think there's a lot of that. You know, we touched on animal care, the kind of dirty behind-the-scenes um maybe it's not always i mean it's still very cool it's very neat maybe it's not always glamorous you know there's a lot that goes on when you're when you have a wildlife center with with the kind of collection that we do um you know a lot of people just just right off the top of my head it's a common question you know like what is the what is your black bear you know what do you feed him you know because there's a lot of misconceptions as, as to what black bears actually eat you know they're big time omnivores they eat a lot of different things and uh, a lot of people are surprised to learn that the the bulk of his diet is large breed dog food. Large breed dog. Large food. breed dog food. Three and a half pounds a day is what he eats. <laughs> I wouldn't be able to afford that dog. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, three and a half pounds. So you know that that's just that's just a quick one. You know, a lot of people kind of their eyes kind of get big. It's just I just think it's just not what they. I think a lot of people maybe they they envision black bears being more like grizzlies that are you know catching fish a lot and you can and, get large breed dog food and salmon and rice yeah you know there's, there's probably options <laughs> is there a certain brand or flavor that he prefers that i don't know and and there may be is that that's a, you know there's there are probably lots of little nuances like that that uh, uh that that exist that you know our animal care staff would would be able to tell you right off the top of their head so do the bobcats get kitty chow uh, no, they they get lean meat is what they get. Good, yeah, they. Oh, they do get lean meat. I know, yeah, they get like actual deer or, mm-hmm. or yeah stuff like that. Yeah, they get actual. You know, that's 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 the that is their diet. Yeah. So, uh, it, you know, it's again, there's there's a lot of the a lot of things about the job you know, the, the public uh, just you know doesn't see and and probably just doesn't even think about. You know, like training is another thing. It's you know, when we get a, a, a bird or, or any, you know, one of the groundhog or skunk, you know, it doesn't come out of the package trained. You know, the, these are still wild animals. And in, in the cases of these animals, they're non-releasable for various reasons. All of the raptors are injured. So they've got various injuries that make them non-releasable. Um, and, you know, it's it's on us to, you know, there's a 30-day quarantine when we get a new animal. Uh, then at, at that point, as long as everything is good and the animal's healthy, you can start training. And then, you know, training can take get literally weeks or months and years in some instances to get the animal trained up to, to do what we want it to do. And in front of, uh, in front of people, in front of the visitors. So I, yeah, that's another thing. I think people probably just have no idea how much work and, and training and time goes into, uh, to training the animals that are trained to do certain things. You know, like we've got our female kestrel flies for programs. You know, she flies in some mm-hmm. cases right over top of people's heads. Both of you all probably seen that before. Yep. That, that you know, well, that doesn't just that doesn't just happen overnight. You you have, you have to work on that, and you have to train. You have to build trust with the animal, and uh, you know that that just takes a while. And then there there are also, you know, not so fun parts of working with the birds. Just literally yesterday. Um, we have to, uh, captive raptors don't wear their beak or their nails down the way that wild ones do. Um, because a lot of the times, especially when we're training, we're giving rewards, but we're giving little pieces. So we cut up their food for them. They're not using that beak for what it's designed to do to tear uh, a lot. Well, they're not doing that a whole lot. And the, the same way with their nails, they're not really killing anything anymore. So they're not wearing down their nails that they, the way they would in the wild. So we actually have to 
have to do that for them. We use a Dremel tool. That's another thing that people, you know, yeah. the, you, know you never even would think about that. I don't, I don't like the dentist. I'm just, I'm <laughs> thought about yeah, I and, just and, had a crown put on here a couple and, weeks and ago. And so, you know, that, that's another one of those things that it's important and, and it's important for their health uh, that, that you have to do. But that's, that's another one of those kind of nitty gritty behind the scenes things that a lot of people probably would say, oh yeah, I, you know, I would rather do the part where you're flying the bird in front of the people. I, I would rather not have to do that part, but it, it's all part of it. It's all, you know, there's, there's, um, Again, there's glamorous and there's not so glamorous parts of our jobs back there. Yeah, it's also hmm. overall though. You know, again, it's it's great. It's it's a lot of fun. It's it's rewarding, and I, I really enjoy. I, I'm someone who's always been passionate about wildlife and the outdoors. That's because I had someone. I was fortunate enough to have uh, you know family members, my papa and my dad, who introduced me to those things from a young age. And and we understand at Slato that for some uh, people, and especially kids, this their time with us when they come on a field trip. This may be their only time all year to be exposed to wildlife and to learn, you know, to have the opportunity to learn about wildlife. And we definitely don't take it for granted. Uh, you know, yeah. that's we understand how important of an encounter uh, and an experience they're having. And our, our goal is to to entertain. Yes. But we want, you know, you, we want you to come away with to learn something. There's definitely a huge education component. That's what we've been talking about the whole time is everything starts with education. And, uh, you know, we want you to have a memorable experience. Again, a lot of people's first experience, a lot of people could probably tell you, oh, I remember the very first time I ever touched a snake uh-huh. was at Salado in 2001. Or, you know, there's probably t- countless memories uh, just like that or, or other facility, you know, a museum or aquarium or zoo somewhere. We, that's what we want to do. We want to we educate. We want to inspire people to become actively involved you know with conservation whether that's through hunting or fishing or you know again we've got a new kentucky wild program where people can become involved you know that's what we're back there to do speaking of speaking of becoming involved uh there are summer internship opportunities and things like that right yes yeah so we've got actually we have volunteer and internship opportunities for uh for people who uh, you know whether they whether they're students uh, obviously, the the interns or students or volunteers, you know, how, whatever the reason may be behind why you've got some free time. If you're wanting to become involved and, and help out at Salado, you can get on our website at fw.ky.gov. Go to the Salado page, and if you click more, there's uh, applications for the internship yeah. and the volunteer. Uh, there's there's both uh, applications on there. Reason I asked somebody was actually emailed me the other day asking if there were any opportunities up here for mm-hmm. for their kid. Their but their kid was only thirteen, so I think they were a little bit too young still. Yeah, our, our going for the internships. When's what deadline do they have to apply? So we we actually do it by spring semester and summer semester. Uh, occasionally we'll get we'll get one on in the fall. Uh, but you know, I actually we don't really have set dates. I just kind of usually when we reopen which we just reopened on March 1st, I'll kind of see what applications I have and set up interviews and, and uh, you know, usually select somebody for the spring. And then usually we'll select somebody for the summer right after classes in, which is usually, you know, mid to late May. So yeah, if, any, if anybody's out there, any, any students are out there, um, I'm actually the internship coordinator. So you, you, you mm-hmm. would just, uh, you know, you can get in touch with me, but really all you need to do is fill out that application and, and submit it and yeah, go from there. Yep. That's it. Just call Slato, right? Yeah, or you could just call Slato to get more yeah, information. Call, call Slato and ask for you, Jeff Roberts, or uh, just for more information. I'm sure our mm-hmm. information specialist would be happy to take care. What else you got there, Jeff? We've been going for a little bit now. I want to get to any point you guys want to, because so, so far we've just been telling stories about myself getting in trouble. Well, I want to ask, uh, what's your favorite small lake presentation now? Oh, fishing. Right now? Yeah. Oh, by, oh, by the way, just to set this up, uh, people are like, why is he asking that? Jeff is a... 
a very avid fisherman, especially on the lakes. Mm -hmm. Jeff gets out there and hits the lakes. He we fish bearing together. Mm -hmm. No, no, we we some water. You we like got some nice fish that day. Yeah. Like it was a tough day too. We had to we had that to was slow. A that was way slower than I thought. You like you hit like Cedar Creek a lot. I know that. I love Cedar Creek. Uh, no, Cedar Creek's terrible. Yeah, yeah I Cedar Creek is horrible. I will say this. You didn't hear about the fish kill? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Cedar, Cedar Creek's uh, frozen over. You don't want to go out there. The, uh, All the bow ramps are closed. Just before we get into this, just to make uh, Lee jealous, Jeff has hit one of my ponds with me. Not the big fish pond, but he's hit a good Yeah, he won't take me. <laughs> we hadn't taken me to any pond, so you're well, ahead that's of what I'm saying. Oh, you're up next, Lee. <laughs> I'm going to bribe him with a bourbon or something else. Okay. Well, see, I just I tell you what. <laughs> before we change gears, let's 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 do a couple. Let's do a wrap up. Okay. Let's do a couple quick things, and then, cool. then yeah, let's talk fishing. Yeah, that sounds good. Hey, to me. We've all got the fear. Uh, one thing I, you know, again, it's we're a great resource. I think it can be, from my own personal experience, it can be challenging to find somewhere where you can learn all about native, you know, the native species that that live in your state and so we are a great resource for that um you, you can and chase what you're holding right now we schedule uh public trainings and enrichments and wild encounters raptor encounters we, we have all sorts of different activities and programs that we schedule and most of the time we have something every single day so if you're in frankfurt and it's a weekday and you think oh well they probably don't have anything going on through the week oh no you, you mm -hmm. know get on our calendar you can find our calendar online again at fw.ky.gov if you go to the Salado page you can look at at a month at a glance and you can see what we have scheduled for every single day on there so you can kind of plan your visit that way so just for example say somebody gets online and they're looking at this exact calendar i have here in my hand today thursday march 7th uh blackberry enrichment 11 30 a.m mm -hmm. so what takes place there so a lot of people would say well what is an enrichment so yeah. an enrichment is something that you do for captive wildlife okay. to keep them stimulated and engaged uh essentially it's something you do for them to prevent them from, bec from becoming bored basically and so we have a lot of different enrichments that we do with different animals a lot of times you're actually encouraging that animal to do some sort of natural behavior mm -hmm. and so black bears you know they whether they're you know going after you know honey or berries or something like that you know they they're used to getting into stuff basically mm -hmm. or you know bugs grubs tearing through bark so we usually give him something that he can interact with and tear up and he within that like so take for example we might put a, a brown paper bag that you might get from the grocery. It might have a trail mix or some kind of treats in there that he wants. It might have some certain scents in there that maybe he hasn't smelled in a while because black bears have an excellent sense of smell. Mm -hmm. Those are things that are changing up his routine. They're definitely going to prevent him from becoming bored, and it gives him something to interact with and work toward uh, getting the uh, the end result, which are, you know, doesn't have to have food, but a lot of times the animals, you know, they like it. If it does have food, mm -hmm. why wouldn't they? And so that that's basically there's all different kinds of enrichments that we do for the different animals, but they're usually pretty entertaining to watch. Yeah, like the bobcat one. I'll see bobcats coming up here in a bit. What like do the bobcats get to chase things around or? Oh, there's a zip line in yeah, the bobcat so, thing. So yeah, usually the bobcats are, are they have you know they have a lot more energy than the black bear. So their enrichments are usually more high energy uh, enrichments. And yeah, again we we've we've what we call go, going fishing for bobcats, where we get a you know basically a cane pole with mm -hmm. with a string attached and, and, and you know something that they I mean you know they are cats. You know anyone who's ever interacted with you know a pet mm -hmm. cat at home knows that they like to, you know they like to bat at things, they like to chase things, they like to grab things. So we might just tie some feathers on it turkey feathers on there and you know dangle that down in there lower that down in there and have them jump up and and uh interact with it so yeah you know enrichments are they're usually 
they're they're pretty fun to put on, uh, but they're they're pretty entertaining to watch if you're a visitor. Blue used to uh, come up and spray. Do you remember that? Was it the skunk? No, no Blue. He was the original. You know, he he actually oh. he actually died right before I started. So, I remember when. I remember sadly, when. Sadly, I missed out on that. I remember that. <laughs> well, he nailed my sister-in-law one time. I slipped him a five-dollar bill. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think but, that. I don't think that's an issue with our new our, our new. But, mail. Uh, I always wonder why he did that. Uh, probably just territory. Yeah, I'd say it was. It's just marking. Just, just hey, you're, just you're, let, you're yeah, encroaching yeah, on me. Yeah, exactly. Just off. letting people know. Hey, this is this is my this, my this is my crib going. I've always wanted to see a bobcat action in person. Always hope because there are wild squirrels and stuff. It's like Do they vocalize at night. During mating season, I'd say they would. Okay, that's not sure. You know, they're both fixed, so I'm not no, sure. I mean, in the wild. Oh, you, yes. Yeah. Have you ever heard of bobcat vocalization? Yes. It doesn't sound anything like you, you can think hear it one sound. in a UK game. If you want to hear one. That's not, yeah, that's a little <laughs> no, different. No, it's, it's pretty clever. I mean, I'm talking about the mating calls. Oh, okay. Their mating calls are a little bit different. It's it's almost, I can't, it's on my coyote call. I, I play it every now and then. But it's, a, I think it's a female in heat, and it sounds quite a bit different. Kind of like the estrus doe sounds kind of funny. Yeah, yeah. If you've ever heard that. Yes. But I've always I've wanted. I've got an estrus doe call up mm-hmm. the best. Yeah. When I've been up there watching the bobcats, I've always just wanted to see a squirrel get in there. Mm-hmm. It happens. Just for the heck of it. It happens. I mean, I don't hate squirrels or anything, but it'd be, it'd be fun. Yeah. Well, and you know, that that's a natural enrichment. You know, yeah, that's exactly. not something that we would do, but yes, occasionally squirrels do get in the exhibit space, and most of the time they don't come back out. Oh, I'd hope not. There's two bobcats in there. <laughs> yeah, you know, we've had snakes. We, you know, we talked about snakes earlier. Sometimes they come in the building. We've had snakes. We had a very small black rat snake one time go into the room where the red tail lives. Hmm. He did not come back. No, I'd say not. That's his natural enrichment. It's like you're talking about. Exactly. I know there used to be. So before you guys redid the Bobcat exhibit, there was a pond there. Now mm-hmm. you got a flowing water feature. Yeah. But there used to be just a stagnant water pond. Mm-hmm. And there were I frogs. the opening of the exhibit. Oh, yeah. But there were frogs. Lots there of frogs. Then. Yeah. There. And garter snakes, too. Lots yeah, of garter I'd say snakes. Those, I'd say that female Bobcat had a good time with those frogs. Yeah, I never saw her catch one. I have seen the male catch yeah. one. So usually he was less interested in doing stuff like that, but he's obviously the bigger and back then more dominant cat. She's grown up a little bit mm-hmm. over the past two years. You can tell she's gotten bigger, but he's still much bigger. They're they're, they're cool animals. I'd like to see the, the squirrel get in there, though. <laughs> and honestly, if you ever – oh, never mind. Never mind. I was going to say, you know, in enrichments, I was thinking, you know, you could uh, – Lee, I don't know if you're into the gambling at all. I know you bought a fishing rod with some money you won off a horse race. But you you um, get – G-Limits, that's the only way I can afford it. You get three rabbits in a box in there and with a little lift gate, and you could color code them <laughs> or number them and bet on rabbits. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, yeah, that's something we can't do because uh, obviously – That's the only thing I do. I like to, you know. It's derby time, too, so it's a fun time. Der- like Derby's coming My out. My wife uh, works part-time at Keeneland, so. Mm. All right, so I, I, go online for the, the schedule of events. There's literally something every single Usually day. Usually each month there is something every single day. So don't think that just because it's not a Saturday that, mm-hmm. oh, well, they probably don't have anything going on. Not, you know, get on the calendar, and, and you can plan your visit that way. Just so, if we want to just do a quick rundown of, of things we have upcoming. I don't know if you need to say everything, but uh, you see you got a flyer in your hand. for Yeah, the- this is for the, the Running Wild. Uh, this year we're doing it as a virtual run. We, we've historically done this as a trail run. Our trails are, are, are not really – they're very narrow. They're not really designed to have a lot of people running on them. So this year we wanted to kind of change it up a little bit and offer it as a virtual run, which – if you're unfamiliar with what that means, that means literally you can choose whatever you can run wherever you want to. You, you could run in your neighborhood, you could run on a track, you could run on a treadmill. You know, if the weather's no good this day, then just run it on a treadmill. All you have to do is submit your route and your time 
on Saturday, March 23rd by one o'clock. And when you do that, you're automatically, uh, you're, you'll be entered for the, the foundation is doing drawings for free prizes through Facebook live, uh, that day. But when you do register and it's $25 to register, when you register, uh, you are actually getting admission to Salado that day. So again, it doesn't matter where you run, but if you want to, when you're done running, come on into Salado that day. Well, your admission is covered with, with the uh, registration fee. And one thing I want to point out, because this is actually a, less than a week away at this point, if you want the T-shirt, everybody loves the T-shirts. Mm -hmm. Adrian does I a great job. I've does. got every T-shirt dating back to the six years I've worked here. If you want a T-shirt, you have to register by the 13th. So keep that date in mind. The race is the 23rd, but if you want that T-shirt with your registration, you need to do it by the 13th. Next Wednesday, Black Bear and Richmond's at uh, 11.30 a.m. that day. If somebody wants see, there to you see. go. We, again, we got something somebody almost every it. single day. If somebody wants to see the Black Bear tear something up. I, I do. One last yeah. thing about Salado, uh, this, because it's, it pertains to this month. This month, we are doing a special. If you join, and we don't want to spend, I will probably run out of time if I start talking about Kentucky Wild. Kentucky Wild is a brand new program that we're all really excited about. Yeah. So Lost in June. In a, basically, quick rundown. Kentucky Wild um, is a program where, you know, pretty, pretty much the only way to fund the department in the past has been to buy a hunting or fishing license. But all of that money went to animals that are hunted, fished, and trapped, and non-game species such as salamanders, snakes, raptors, owls. Every, everything that's not hunted, fish, and traps, which is pretty much 90% of the animals in the state. Mm -hmm. um, so Kentucky Wild allows people who aren't necessarily into hunting or fishing but still care about the wildlife to join a program that supports those animals that aren't hunted or fished or trapped. That's where 100% of the money goes is to non-game species. And it's just a good way to let people be involved with some, some things they're interested in when it comes to animals and wildlife and there's opportunities available out there as well. Yeah, it, exactly. So it, it's, it, it's an, I think it's a great program and I think a lot of people that, uh, that visit the center or would be interested in visiting the center would be very interested in the program. Yeah. If you jump there, it's set up like a membership. Yeah. So there are actually different levels. There's six different levels ranging uh, the entry level membership is $25 all the way up to a thousand dollars. And the neat thing is you get, you get, swag when you join and if you've never seen it you know, Leia has done just such a fantastic job designing this from the ground up you know all of the all of the logos and everything that she had that all of the things that she has designed that just look to me look so great and so getting to that there's a t-shirt and if you've not seen it it's, it's a great looking t-shirt uh and if you join at any level so you can join at the 25 dollar level during the month of march at salado so let us sell it to you don't join on your phone i'm only telling you that because if you let us sell it to you at Salado in the month of March, you get that free T-shirt regardless of what level you join at. Normally, you, you would have to join the $75 level to get that T-shirt. Mm -hmm. If you join at the $25 level, you get the free T-shirt. So that's kind of an extra incentive. So come into Kentucky or come into Salado and join there. Yeah, exactly. So come to Salado. Obviously, that's what I want you to do anyway. While you're there, learn more about Kentucky Wild Program. And uh, again, if you join while you're there, then you get that free T-shirt. Little, I guess, housekeeping on Salado. We are open Tuesday through Saturday. Okay, so closed Sundays and Mondays and state holidays. Tuesday through Friday, nine to five. Saturdays, ten to five. Uh, again, get on the calendar. Connect with us on social media. We're actually on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and we post a lot of cool behind-the-scenes type photos and video on there. There's a lot of really neat, interesting content on there, and of course. Uh, we do post any kind of upcoming programs and activities and events on there as well. So that's a great way to kind of keep tabs on what's going on at Salado. But, you know, for anybody who's never visited, I, all I have to say is I, 
I really truly believe you're missing out. It's a wonderful opportunity. And really it doesn't matter if it's, if it's you by yourself, if it's, you know, you and your, and your wife or your boyfriend or girlfriend, you and your family, or you want to bring a school group, a scout group, a church group, we've got something fun for everybody at the Salado Center. So it's, it's, um, yeah, I encourage you come pay us a visit and we are open seasonally. We just opened uh, March 1st. We run March through November. So it's quite a long season, but you know, don't put it off too long because we're, we're going to be closing uh, the day before Thanksgiving is always when we close. So yeah, definitely pay us a visit. Yeah, for sure. I'll be there probably tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, I'll see on, I'll see on your break yesterday. All right. Now, now fishing. We can transition. Ask, ask about fishing. Lee, I know you want to. Well, you know, it's high water, muddy water, cold water. What is your what's what's your best pattern in these kinds of conditions? Slow roll a spinnerbait is what I would you know. I, I'll be honest, I haven't been out in a little while, but who has? There's been no yeah. you know. Um, I that's that's kind of my approach. Um, so I mean, certainly you, you, there are some people who throw spinnerbait year round, but to me, you know, a spinnerbait excels early on when the water temps are still cold. The water's pretty dirty, you know, especially if you get you get a larger. You know, like a Colorado blade on there, and you just kind of slow roll that around. Yeah. yeah, that to me, that's if I were going to go out today, that that's what you would see me throwing. Uh, if we were going to somewhere that has a grass in it, rattle trap, you know, it's a, a lipless crankbait would be good right now. But uh, you know, I tell you, I like the. I mean, I'm not a huge spinnerbait fisherman to be honest with you. I like the swim baits and the soft plastics and stuff like that, but. We went down to Dell the other day and fished swim baits and hair jigs and had some luck. But right now, I'm looking forward to. <clears throat> he was fishing that clear water, Lee. Well, it was the muddiest well, I've was, ever seen. Yeah, the muddiest water. clear Dale's ever been. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously, the blade baits. I went make to Denver with my good friend who has a place on Cumberland, and it's just outrageous. His, in December, it was like 30 something steps down to his dock. He's one of the few people who has a private slip. Now, um, and then fall, it was 90 something steps down to his dock. His dock's 20, or his, his steps down to his dock, probably about 20 feet deep now. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, it's ridiculous. <laughs> it's, but I mean, I've never seen They're, like they're pulling that lake so hard. Yeah. I mean, Dale was dropping over six inches a day. Cumberland's dropping about about the same, I think. Mm-hmm. And they're pulling like 60,000 CFS through Cumberland. And we did the math on that on the way home from a trip the other day, which was pretty interesting. But what I was going to say is I'm looking forward. I know it's not as fun as getting out on the boat and fishing big water. But farm ponds are going to be the first mm-hmm. the first bite to turn on. And I had it, written, yeah. it only takes one or two warm days with the sun. Next coming week out. will be getting to near prime because it's going to be sixty th- Sunday. It's going to be unusually warm. Oh, Wednesday, I think there's two days next week where it's sixty six and sixty eight. Mm-hmm. After those two days, that water up there by the banks is going to be warmed up, mm-hmm. and those fish are going to be moved up shallow. And if you can run that spinnerbait real slow down the bank. I'll be fishing soft plastics. I just like it's just a more enjoyable way to fish yeah, for me. But. Right on the bank, though. Yeah. Square bill crankbait. I've caught mm-hmm. them doing that, too. Chatterbait. I mean, there's yeah. a lot of things you could throw. And I, honestly, um, more often than not through, throughout the year, I, I'm more of a slow fisherman myself. Yeah. I like to throw a jig and, You're a jig and soft plastic. That's, that's Is it too early for a jig, you think? No, it, it's not. But Black and blue, me, is that what you like when uh, yeah, it's dirty? It, when the water's dirty, I throw something darker like a black and blue. Just to me, the best way, again, like like – is the case with a lot of people right now. If I haven't been out in a long time, for a lot of people, this would be my first time out. I just feel like you, you can use. It's a better use of your time to use a search bait, and I think a spinner bait's a great search bait. Mm-hmm. You can just cover water a lot quicker. Now, if you get in an area where you're suddenly, you know, bang, 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 you're catching a bunch of spinner bait. At that point, sure, slow down. You know, start pitching a you know a jig or some dark 
creature bait, you know, here and there. But to me, just a you know a, a moving bait is it's just a great way to cover water. Try That's to, right. Try to kind of figure out. Well, what are the fish? You know, what are the fish doing? What depth do they seem to be in? What are they hanging out next to cover? Are they mm -hmm. not? Are they out in the middle of nowhere? Uh, you know, and that's where once you get some clarity, that's where a suspending jerk bait is great this time of year. Uh, you know, because a lot oftentimes, even when they're pulling up staging, um, they're still kind of lethargic. You know, I mean, they'll eat something if it's right in front of their face, mm -hmm. um, and that's where you know once if these lakes will kind of clear up a little bit and get the clarity back. I, you know, that's I love to throw a jerk bait uh, early mm. in the spring. Yeah. Yeah, I'm getting better. You know, I wish I was a better jerkbait fisherman, but I've, I've caught more trout on a jerkbait than anything. A, a pins minnow, I've worn them out on the crumbling river. Well, when we were down there at Dale, we we didn't catch a ton of fish, but when we were trailering the boat the second day, and an older guy, probably early seventies, was putting his boat on the water, he'd probably fish that lake since it was impounded. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And uh, we asked him how he did, and he said he caught a seven plus largemouth and a five pound smallmouth the day before and we asked him sure. what on and he was fishing jerkbait yeah. and chad much better fisherman than me he he had he's pulled, a jerkbait guy well, he pulled out a jerkbait the day before and he said this is a, a a bait right now that could be working and it's because of the water temperature uh small fish are stressing and that jerkbait just kind of it's erratic I mean, the floating fly is similar but just a smaller profile the but float, it's doing the same thing floating yeah. fly also requires clear water though yeah and with as much rain yeah. as we've had it just it's it's been no floating fly this year though. i mean yeah. maybe back in november late november but I it's mean, been junk oh i mean the i think dale was 25 feet up when yeah, we were there it's, it's just outrageous we were getting hung up so so often because we were fishing up trying to find warm water and we were uh we were fishing up in areas that wouldn't have held water. We were fishing on the banks, you know what I mean? Just up there on them in sycamore trees that would mm -hmm. have been above water. And that's where we caught our fish too. We caught them up there on what will be dry land here mm -hmm. in a few weeks. So yeah. it was cool. It was very cool. I can't wait to get back out. I just want the weather to get right. Yes. Please stop raining. <laughs> Go away, El Nino. Go. You've stayed long enough. You've eaten all the food. You've rogued everybody out. Time for you to go back home. Yeah. And I like to think that I like to think we're close. I mean, yeah. I really do. I mean, it, it, listen, days are getting longer. Yeah. I mean, uh, you can start to see some of the wildlife coming coming back. My chickens are laying eggs. Turkeys are gobbling. You know, the but based on the length of the day, a lot of animals are starting to get into their spring behaviors. It just hasn't happened yet. I'm sure the animals you deal with back there at Slido probably change tendencies a little bit. Yeah, they do. You do see some subtle differences in behavior, and yeah. that we've kind of started to notice well, you know through the seasons the majority you know. of wildlife in my opinion we've talked about this lee is based on length of day i think it's a photo period i think that's what it really drives things more than anything and right now days are getting we talked about this with chad uh we're looking at it's something like 13 minutes a week of more daylight time mm -hmm. from well, us. i really noticed last night because for the first time in a while i actually 640 yeah I, I said you know it just feels like it's getting Yes. And I looked, and it was like 6.35. Yeah. I thought, that's still light. You know, yeah. not that long ago, it was dark at 5.30. Mm -hmm. it, literally, I did the same thing. I was pulling into Kroger. I remember I was sitting there waiting for cars to pass so I could pull into Kroger in Shelbyville. And I was like, man, it is really light out still. Mm -hmm. 6, 6.38 on my clock. Mm -hmm. I was like, this is great. Yeah, but, that's what weekend. I thought, too. It, it was, was cold, but I was like, it's light. But it's already on. It was cold. Well, here after time changes this weekend, we'll be looking at 7.45 next week, still daylight. And that's like, I get home from work, I can do something. Yeah. <laughs> you know fishing I mean? after work. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, it, you know, the the fishing I have done lately was here at on the Upper Lake yeah. uh, last week. You know, Not we had that one. Yeah, yeah. I, but, I went yesterday. I, call, I don't know. You, you probably saw my post. Um, all I was just throwing a yellow rooster tail because mm -hmm. I, you know, I catch some trout. Well, the last couple of years, I do my best to catch a largemouth 
or, or any black bass in every month of the year. So okay. obviously January and February are usually the toughest two to get. Mm. And I got January and I cheated a little bit. I did that at, at Falcon Lake in Texas. I, there's been some years I did it in Kentucky. That counts. You, you can catch them year round. And honest to God, I'm getting a little off topic. One of my favorite cold water baits for some reason in ponds like this upper lake mm-hmm. has been a, a beetle span. Yeah, right. that's, a, that's a deadly smallmouth. But presentation I'll, on rivers and backwaters people throw i'm talking about slow rolling that just, thing yeah. as slow as you can possibly move it and i've caught some really good fish and had some really good days in january and february on a beetle spin. yeah it's that's one of the it's surprising you would most people would look at that and roll their eyes at it but yeah. i mean i grew up on a beetle spin. No, i grew too. up on a rooster tail yeah. so it, anyway back to spin packages like five would come you know and yeah. you carry that in your pocket mm-hmm. so anyway yeah I'm, I'm here at upper upper sportsman's lake and i i'm, I'm not making this up it, this was like February 26th. I said, you know, I'm I'm running out of time on February. I'm probably not going to catch a bass in February. I'm probably not going to get my monthly challenge this year. But I thought, oh, you could do Wouldn't it. it be funny if I go down here and I'm throwing my rooster tail and I just happen to catch a largemouth? I kid you not, the probably third cast, I caught a largemouth. That's all you need. So <laughs> I did. There, there was the you know monthly challenge. I mean, like I said, January. If you can get January and February, you'll get the rest of the should year. Even December's well, easy. I've been going down there lately. Same, the, the lake you're talking about with a chartreuse rooster tail, pretty much the same thing you're talking about, fishing for trout. And the other day, I, I mean, so a bigger trout will hit pretty good. You know what I mean? Like, uh, there's a difference in the 8-inch trout versus 15-inch trout. Like, And I uh, caught some trout, caught one or two, and I was I keep pretty much every trout I catch out of there. Just I caught five yesterday after work. and uh, But I was on the pond dam down there, casted, fish hit. I was like, oh, it's a good trout. And it was a, Largemouth, like you're talking. Mm-hmm. Did you catch yours on the dam? No, I, I didn't. But the first day I went, I was on the the far side of the dam, like the corner mm-hmm. near where the where the houses are. Yeah. And uh, and it, it may have been a trout, but I had one knock complete slack in my line mm-hmm. on a rooster tail. You know, caught up with it and had him hooked, and said, oh, well, this you know this is good fish, and uh, it got off. So. I, I kind of had the suspicion it was a bass. Yeah, just the way he hit it and just the way he felt. But. I do feel like those trout are more likely to bump your bait and not get the hooks. Yeah. I don't know why, but yesterday several times it was like a bump, bump, or a slack. And oh, I, I've, be been, I've been missing a lot. But, yeah. but that one... Sometimes those are bluegill, too. They'll yeah. peck at it and they yeah. just won't get it. To me, though, whatever that fish was, and I mean, you know, that, that's one of those cases, you know, you, if you could just see under the water. Maybe, maybe, a, maybe it was a nine-inch trout. I mean, I don't know. Probably but, a nine- or ten-pound largemouth, if uh, I guess. <laughs> But you know, my wife caught a nice large mouth on a prince nymph when we were mm-hmm. trout fishing, and I caught a trout like two casts later yeah. on the dam. There you we, go. We were so. back in the fall. Hmm. Yeah, but it's, I mean, it's a little prince nymph. That so. chartreuse or rooster tail was my go-to um, uh, for the trout. I, I like that chartreuse yellow color and a pink color. You know uh, where I throw? Is, I've done well. You pink. know where I throw a chartreuse rooster? I mean, I haven't so much anymore. When I first moved here, you know where I throw that? Elkhorn. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. And I quickly learned that you can catch a really nice smallmouth on that chartreuse rooster. Oh, yeah. okay. A lot of people do that. My favorite creek bait over the past few years has switched, and it is now a swim bait. I like the mm-hmm. three-inch Kytex. Kytex, I've got those. And mm-hmm. I, I Texas rig them with a bullet weight. I mean, it's literally a Texas rig swim bait, and you can swim that thing. You can let it drift through a riffle and swim it through there, or you can jig it on the bottom, just like in some kind of slow-moving. I throw slider grubs, which are very similar. They have a mm-hmm. big tail, too. Yeah, yeah I've thrown those on there. I've but a, slayed. I've last, hundreds on Yeah, that last water. summer, uh, one of the only times I actually floated it, I, that's what I was throwing when I caught yeah, nice those the swim baits are really turned on for me in the in the creeks, but it's hard to go wrong with the inline spinner. Kevin turned me a couple of years, and I've been wearing them out on the Z Man 
you know, TRD, finesse TRD. Yeah. Uh, that teal color is TR just... Phew. I need to fish those more. I fished them a few times, um, and they're super productive. This yeah, past this was a, this past year was the first year that I'd actually ever thrown those, and I, I did pretty well on it in the fall over at Green River Lake. Mm -hmm. Caught you know all three species. Just I mean it's just throwing it's, the little it's, ones it's on, a, a, on the Ned rig. Yeah, yeah, just a just a nothing. Yeah, looking you know it for, looks for, like for you're, you're fishing who, a little cigar. Yeah, I mean who who are, even seem who are unfamiliar. I mean it, you look at it and you think, well, what, that catches why, fish. Why would they? Like that. Well, they do. They just, yeah, it's, I, like, it's an easy meal. You know, they're opportunists, and it has that texture to it, the feel. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a really, and really they last forever. You'll yeah. cut, you can fish all day on one. Well, the you thing know, is, they pull it off and flip it around. They're super stretchy and they're mm -hmm. super soft. You can pull one of the, like a normal artificial worm, like to say Berkeley power bait. If it's a ten inch worm, you might be able to stretch it to eleven and a half before mm -hmm. it breaks. But one of those TRDs, you can have a two incher. You probably stretch that thing out to ten or twelve mm -hmm. inches, and it'll just go right back to form. So it has a different feel and texture. And for some reason, I don't know if it's those fish just nibble on it, they like how it feels or what, but... They nail it. That texture has something to do with it. Mm. I don't know if it's maybe the way it moves, but I mean, I feel like it's a stick. Like, when you yeah. work it, I don't feel like it's getting... There's a not a whole lot of action. No, no, there's nothing to it. You're like... You... And that's why, I mean, that's, to me, that's like, if I was going to take somebody new to fishing, just have them throw that. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just, I mean, you just hop it along or just drag it drag along. Drag it along and then let the current carry it and do nothing. They'll you know, pick it up and you'll probably point. know that they're on there yeah. pretty, I mean, it's, to me, that's just, that would be. I use a little scent on mine sometimes too. I'll put, dip in a little smelly jelly. Smelly jelly. Yeah, I love smelly jelly. Those, uh, the TRD, we always called it the turd worm. Yeah, turd. I've heard it called a turd. <laughs> that's, what, that's kind of what it looks like. That's why it's called a TRD. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's that's what they're essentially. That's, that's I mean, basically what it looks like. Yeah, well, that's what it's called. As did Lee puts a scent on there, he's basically going <laughs> doing the whole nine yards. Yeah, I am. No, that's fine. Uh, he had a lot of garlic with his meal. <laughs> <laughs> nasty fish, man. Nasty. What else you guys got? You want to talk about anything else? Or we've been going for a while now. We can wrap it up. Save some stuff for the next one. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, no, yeah. it's that's that's been good. You know, we Talked about Salado, and uh, I, hey, I'm always willing to talk about that, but I'm always willing to talk about a little bit of fishing, too. Yeah. So, so I mean, in summary, real quick, Salado, I feel like a lot of people probably know about Salado, but maybe you haven't been there in a while, and things have changed. Maybe you have a kid now. Maybe you know of a, a family with a kid. It's, a, it's just a great opportunity for adults, but especially for kids to get out and learn about wildlife and conservation and wildlife management and just animals in the state of Kentucky. Everything up there is native. Everything up there is something that you could go out and find somewhere in the state. And you're probably pretty likely to see. Maybe there's something that lives close to you that you'll never see because it's nocturnal. But anyway, great opportunity for education up there. You can make a day of it, go hiking, go fishing. All that stuff's right here where we work. So mm -hmm. pretty lucky. Uh, running wild trail runs coming up. Look at Kentucky Wild if you want to support um, non-game species in the state of Kentucky. And fishing should be heating up soon. Hopefully. I think in next week. Oh, maybe, maybe so. Farm ponds next week for sure. I, I looked at those 60-degree days, and I thought to myself, there it is. Yeah. That's it. Anyway, anything else you guys want to touch on? Or? No, I think that's good. All I, right. I get to buy your fishing yeah, license. Get, oh, yeah. yeah get your, yeah. I, Before I, you go, make sure you get that new I license. got my Sportsman's uh, February 27th, so um, I hope I bought it for the right year. I better double check. <laughs> Surely they let me transfer it over. Yeah, I think but, they would. No, but yeah. Yeah, so uh, get your get your hunting and fishing license. And, uh, anyway, that's and, it. Uh, yeah, come come if see us at the slams. Maybe you have to have a trout permit. Yeah, well, that comes with the Sportsman's, too. Yeah. So if you get the Sportsman's, you're covered. But $5 trout permit if you do not. Mm -hmm. Anyway, thanks for coming on, Jeff. Appreciate, hey, appreciate it. Appreciate it. I'll see you at Salado sometime soon. See you tomorrow. Thank mm -hmm. you.